0: good evening liberty how are we doing hey to everybody glad you're joining us we'll get started here in just a second letting everybody get on here this is judges episode five i'm gonna wrap it up tonight won't be as long as normal probably because i'm at the very end of the book and uh, we'll give you what god has for us it's so good to see all of you i really appreciate this last month pastor matt been out of town letting me preach and i enjoyed preaching on hashtag the love of god and hope that was a blessing to you and uh, it was a blessing to me and my study. and uh, But I'm excited to have Pastor Matt back. And uh, so looking forward to uh, his sermon series called The New Normal. And uh, he's preaching out of a book on Sunday that most people don't preach out of. I, I doubt you've heard many sermons in your entire life out of this book of the Bible. You say, which book is it, Brother Dusty? You just have to come Sunday and find out. But uh, he's preaching on The New Normal and about God's grace and things in these difficult times. And so we're excited about that. Liberty is going forward it doesn't always show on the outside what God is doing can't always base it on the numbers but you can look at what God is doing in the hearts of individuals and we are thrilled with these things hello to all, all of you David Moore from Costa Rica thank you for joining us I appreciate that I know it's a little earlier than uh, your, what you're used to for a service but I'm glad you're joining me uh, my friend in Costa Rica so glad you're there And I hope God will bless you in our time together. I do want to tell you, a lot of people have asked you about this. What's wrong with your eyes? Look at my eyes, all right? Look, look. You'll tell me all the time, you look like you're so tired. Well, one reason is because I am tired, all right? I'm sleeping in a camper with a three-year-old. It just makes you tired, but I'm not that tired. Um, The other part is, is that I'm old and my eyes look wrinkly anyway. But the main reason why my eyes look so bad on Sunday, and they're clearing up a little bit today, is because Anna gave me this lotion, and I've had an allergic reaction to it. I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but she did ask me about my life insurance right before she rubbed it on my face, and I, that's probably just coincidental, but uh, anyway, it's clearing up, just uh, allergic reaction to some things, and so thank you for your concern and prayers. Those of you who are bold enough to ask me, those of you who are just so polite as to just look at me and walk away and not say anything to me, I love you too, And uh, but it's, it's going to be all right, and I'm glad that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart, and uh, he's probably pretty disappointed with what he sees there, too, and uh, we're working on that, and he does his work in our hearts. Now, remember, we have been working our way through the book of Judges kind of in an overview sense, so if you were in a Bible college, uh, they would take a lot more time to kind of camp down in this book, but we've only had five weeks, and this is our very last week. I love you, too, Wendy Burns. Hey, Cassidy. Glad y'all are watching. So... We've had these five weeks to kind of go through the book of Judges and just touch on some things. And I want to remind you of a few things because I know how you guys are. You are just like me. And uh, you look at things and you hear things and you agree with things and you forget things. That's just the nature of our our, our humanity. And uh, hey, Ronnie Weems, my friend from Kingsport, Tennessee, glad you're on here as well. let me remind you that the nation of Israel has, has kind of lost some of their national identity. They've come th- out of the book of Joshua and the great victories that they experienced there. Joshua's a transitional book. Anytime you have a transitional book in the Bible, there's always great miracles, great victories, like you see in the book of Acts, which is also a transitional book. And uh, as the children of Israel make that adjustment from being a nomadic tribe wandering in the wilderness to taking possession Of the land that God has given them you see these great miracles and the land is divided and then when people begin to focus on their land and taking possession and cultivating their field some of that national identity is lost and there are more localized events that we find in the book of Judges and you will find that God's people in the book of Judges and God's people in the United States of America consistently go through these patterns all right they enjoy a period of prosperity That prosperity naturally causes their hearts to drift away from God. And the longer they drift, the further they go, the deeper they enter into rebellion. God brings chastisement to bring them back. Thank God that his chastisement is always remedial and not punitive. He's not just punishing us. He desires to bring us to himself. He brings that chastisement in their life. They cry out to him in repentance. He sends one of the judges, one of the great mighty deliverers, delivers them from the hands of their various enemies, whether it's the Amalekites or the Philistines or the Moabites, the Midianites, whoever the case may be. He delivers them, and they enter back into that period of being right with God and then begin to drift in that prosperity. And this cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. There are about 12 judges and out of those 12, six of them are prominent. The Bible gives them more information and more time, and we looked at those six in the last four weeks, and you can go back and you can watch the videos. Incidentally, if you go to any podcast platform, uh, Spotify, Google, I think Apple as well, Anchor, look up Rooted with Dusty. All of these uh, judges classes are on there, so you can listen to just the audio not have to look at me if you're driving down the road. So, um, in this last class i kind of want to just draw your attention to the end of the book chapter 17 through 21 and if you've never read 17 through 21 you need to read it all right but it is a difficult passage to read because it is uh not difficult in the sense that it's hard to read but just the 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 gross idolatry and the gross immorality that led to civil war In chapter 17 18 19 20 and 21 now most of the time when we look at the end of a book we consider the end of the book to be the end of the book but it's not the end of the book the book of Judges 17 through 21 is an appendage that was attacked attacked attached later on and it was attached to show us the the general spiritual temperature of the nation during that particular time and as we look at that we get an idea of just how wicked the children of Israel got as they rebelled and drifted away from God. Now, please don't lose sight that the whole message of the book of Judges is that we have a failing people and a faithful God. And God always has a deliverer, and he's able to deliver us from deeply entrenched evil. Remember that the periods of time that went by before the children of Israel cried out to God as they suffered under the oppression of foreign nations, that the briefest amount of time was seven years. And the longest amount of time was 40 years that they would take the chastisement of God and still not get right with him. And so we understand just how hard-hearted we can be. But Jesus Christ is pictured in these judges because he is our great deliverer. He steps in. He breaks satan the lion like samson did rips him as he does does a a baby goat and grants us the victory in jesus christ but to understand just how deeply entrenched the evil is you got to read 17 through 21 now i want to just remind you of a couple of things and then touch on some uh some of the things in the book 17 through 21 can never be read or studied without understanding that all of this goes back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Do you remember what Genesis 3:15 says? It's the very first promise that God gives to mankind in regards to sending a deliverer, a Messiah. And he tells Adam and Eve after their sin, and he tells the Satan that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent, all right? Those two are always going to be at war with one another, all right? And it's an interesting thing as we go through the Bible. We see this war going on all the time between God's people, this godly line, this godly seed from which comes Jesus Christ, and the satanic attack against it. Now, let me ask a question. I know you won't have time to answer me before I answer, but I want you to think about it. What was the tribe through which Jesus came, the Messianic tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel. What was it? I heard you back in the back there. Judah, that's exactly right. And I want you to get that in 17 and in chapter 19, Judah is connected with the idolatry, chapter 17, verse seven, and Judah is connected with the immorality, chapter 19, verse one, because Satan always desires to corrupt the line of Christ. Now, as we go forward in The history of Israel, you will understand that after King Saul reigned for 40 years, and then David reigned for 40 years, and then Solomon reigned for 40 years, at 120 years of a united kingdom, Israel prospered, and under Solomon, they reached the zenith of their military and economic might and power. They were a great nation. After Solomon, they divided and split under Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Rehoboam took the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin and Levi, and Jeroboam took the northern kingdom of the other ten tribes. And they came to be known as Israel or Ephraim in the Bible, and the southern tribes became known as Judah. So you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And as you read through the books of First Kings, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And, and other parts of those, you will see the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And consistently, consistently, the Southern Kingdom is the more conservative spiritually. They had godly kings who ruled and reigned and brought about revivals in the land. The Northern Kingdom never had a godly king, not one. The only way they were measured was if they were more or less wicked. It wasn't the good or bad, it was the degree of wickedness that determined the quality of their kingship. So the northern king never had one, and so God sent the nation of Assyria to take them into captivity. And they went into captivity roughly 150 years before the southern kingdom finally fell and went into captivity under the nation of Babylon. And that's where you get the books of Ezekiel and Daniel from. These are events that took place in the captivity. by captivity, what I mean is that these nations would come in and they would besiege the cities and after they had won the battle, they would take out all of the skilled labor. They would take out the intellectuals. They would take out anybody who was wealthy and who could serve their country and they would deport them. They would march them in chains back to their capital cities and sell them as slaves and and put them into society and into the economy to, to help build themselves up. And then they would take people from other nations, the, the the lower class, and they would move them into the land and force them to live among the people who were left there. And so you had this enmity that went on there, and those were eventually intermarried and then became the Samaritans. You read about that in John chapter 4 where the Jews didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans because they were mixed breeds from other tribes of people that had been brought in during the dispersion. All that's going on, and I tell you all of that to help you understand why Satan attacks Judah. Judah is the godly line. Judah is the conservative kingdom. Judah is through who Jesus Christ comes through later on. And because we understand these things, we understand why it's always been a battle between the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Incidentally, it didn't say the seed of the man, it said the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, Virgin Born, and the seed of the serpent. Back and back they've been fighting. Now God tells us in the very beginning who's going to win. We already know that he's gonna jesus is gonna crush and bruise his head but the devil's always working and if you watch and read the word of god as an overall picture you begin to understand these things incidentally if you have a lot of time to read and you're interested in it william graham scroggie wrote a book years ago called the unfolding drama of redemption and it goes from the beginning and just kind of lays it out for you and that book helped me understand more than ever how it all lays out. and I say book, it's actually three books, and each one's about that thick. And so it's not something you're going to read on a Saturday afternoon sitting out on your couch. It's much bigger than that, but it'll help you give you that idea. Now, not only did Satan attack Judah, if you read 17 through 21, the civil war is against the nations of Israel versus Benjamin. Benjamin. And the reason why they're fighting is because during the immorality, Benjamin would not turn over the people who were guilty of some of the crimes that we're going to talk about here in a little while. He wouldn't turn them over. They wouldn't turn them over. And so they went to civil war. And Benjamin, the first couple of battles, just whooped them. The Bible says that Benjamin had 600 left-handed slingshot men that could not miss within a hair's breadth. And you know it's not this kind of slingshot. It's a different kind of slingshot. And it takes much more skill. And these guys were great. And they won many times. But these, after at the end of the battle... When the children of Israel finally overcame Benjamin, they, they all but eliminated that tribe. Eliminated that tribe to where only 600 men were left from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin figures in, in the Old Testament because they became eventually part of the conservative south, Benjamin, Judah, and Levi. But they also figure prominently in the New Testament because there is one great Bible figure who comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Who knows who he is? That's right. The apostle Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin. And had Satan been able to blot out the tribe of Benjamin, he would have weakened Judah in the south. And he also would have kept Paul from coming. Now, I know Satan didn't know all of this. I know he doesn't know all of these things. But he's always fighting against the seed of the woman. And then we also understand that the tribe of Levi was involved. 17:7 7 shows us that Levi was involved in the idolatry and 19:1 shows us that Levi was involved in the immorality. Now, why is it significant that Levi was involved? What was Levi in the tribes of Israel? It was the high priestly tribe. It was the tribe that the priests came from. They did not have land per se. They had plots that were given to them, but they had the the tabernacle was their possession. They belong to God. They are representative of the full-time Christian worker. He's dedicated to the kingdom of God, not to building any other kingdom. And Levi is involved in this. And so you see Satan attacks the tribes that make up the conservative south, through which the religion, through which the great Christian comes from, and through, and through which Jesus Christ comes to himself. Satan attacks all three of those in Judges. And so don't read it as a disconnected book see the struggle that's going on, that you have this wickedness and evil from the oppression of Satan, and Jesus Christ, our deliverer, comes through as a faithful God, resurrects the nation of Israel, brings it out, sets David over them eventually. They reach the zenith under Solomon, and even though all of the bad stuff happened after that, Jesus Christ is still going to rule and reign in Jerusalem one day as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, Let me remind you that 17 through 21 does not come at the end of the book of Judges. It is indicative of the events of the period and the general aspects of life. And we know this because Judges 18 tells us that Joseph, as in Joseph from Egypt's grandson and great-grandson, are implicated in the idolatry. Yeah, yeah. And then chapter 20, verse 28, shows us that Aaron's grandson was alive at the time as well, and in order for that to take place, it had to be early on in the book because they would have died uh, due to the age and things going on. So 17 through 21 is indicative of that. Now, I want to talk about seven or eight things that were aspects of the corruption of the nation of Israel, and they are aspects of corruption in the case of any nation that wanders away from God and they kind of follow a general dissension if you'll look at it with me the first is found in chapter 17 verses 1 through 5 now I know because of this setting that I can't read all this scripture to you some of this you'll just have to take my word for it all right and some of it you can go back and check it out later all right never ever take Dusty's word for everything never ever take Pastor Matt's word for everything. Be a Berean, study the scriptures, make sure these things are so, you're responsible for your own spiritual growth, all right? And I'm telling you what I believe to be the truth, but I'm known to be wrong once or twice. And uh, so please uh, check these things out on yourself. But the first thing I find in chapter 17, verse one through five is a family delinquency. Chapter 17 is the story about Micah. And Micah stole some stuff from his mom, And his mom gets it back, and they make an idol out of that stuff, and she leads her son into idolatry, all right? What kind of dysfunctional family is that, is that? Now, I'm going to make an illustrative point, and I hope that most of you do not know what I am talking about, all right? But, you know, I have Netflix, at home. And when I, my Netflix pops up, it always shows me the top shows in America. That's a discouraging thing to look at sometimes. And one of the shows is Shameless, All right, I know enough about Shameless and have seen enough of Shameless to know that I can't watch it, All right, But it is about a major dysfunctional family and the dysfunction of this family is paraded across the screen and honored and glorified. And if you watch it, Shame on you. That's just for me. Shame on you, all right? Because it is indicative of the condition of our country that our families have become so dysfunctional, so out of whack. Mothers leading their children into idolatry, the absence of fathers, all of the struggles of which we are well aware, all of that's going on in our country, and it is a sign of the corruption, the destruction of the family unit. That's why Pastor Matt preaches on the family every year and will continue to do so. Is because it is the foundational block, not just of the church, but of our nation. And so you see Satan attack the family more than anything else. It is a struggle. It is a struggle. And the family is God's unit. And you notice that corruption first in the families. And then in chapter 17, verse 1 through 5, I see a mixture of religious right and wrong right so when you look at it Micah has an ephod and the ephod was part of the vest that the priest wore that carried with it the stones representative of the nation of Israel I don't know how he got one or if it was an original or maybe he bought a knockoff version of it from some Chinese trader that came through, made in Taiwan, and the stones weren't really real. But this ephod was was part of true Jewish worship. But then the Bible says also that he had a teraphim. And a teraphim is something that is used in pagan worship. And so he takes this part of the Jewish worship, which is ordained by God, and the teraphim from the heathen worship, and he puts them together, and he makes his own worship. And then he goes out and gets him a priest to be his own personal preacher, right? That's twisted and convoluted this is, but it reminds me that anytime you see the destruction of the family, family being attacked, what happens in the churches is that you have this mixture of truth and error. It resembles true worship, but it always has an element of of, of error in it. Now, can I be specific? All right, I'm going to be. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. And I'm not saying that anybody who that is part of these particular movements are necessarily lost, but I'm just going to be plain. The Roman Catholic Church has a mixture of truth and error in it, all right? As a mixture of truth and error, it does. It does. And then the easy contemporary Christian movement that we see in our church, and by contemporary I'm not referring to music, I'm referring to the fact that Churches that make it possible to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that costs me nothing, that demands nothing of me, that doesn't insist that I change my life, doesn't care about how holy I live, I can be just like everybody else in the world and still be going to heaven. That is a mixture of truth and error, and it is dangerous. It is dangerous, and our churches are full of American Christians, and I am not sure are Christians at all, just to be candid with you, because the Christianity doesn't cost anything doesn't cost anything. You're just adding God to the list of gods that you already serve. The God of American materialism and your ambition and all the things you want and money and all these things and pleasure. And then you put God up there, you give him your hour at church, and that's the extent of your Christian life. That's not Christianity. That's a mixture of error and truth. And then on the flip side of that, let me get all of us, all right, this standard-based fundamentalism in America that I see as well, that judge the quality of your Christianity by the degree of separation that you take on standard issues. You can be as hateful as you want to be, as proud as you want to be, as arrogant as you want to be, but as long as you carry the King James Bible, your wife don't wear pants, you don't go to the movies, and you don't drink, then you're a good Christian. And that is truth mixed with error as well. Yes, it is. I believe in standards, and I believe there's things we ought to do and ought not to do but I don't judge the quality of my Christian life based upon those standards that's the outward the inward man is what matters and if you really want to prove to me that you're a good Christian let the fruit of the Spirit dominate your life and the very first fruit of the Spirit out of which all others flow is love that's the first thing have your standards but have them in love and if you don't have them in love I don't care if you're so sanctified that you can't eat with Jesus because he's wearing a robe and he has a beard and you don't believe in that it doesn't matter you're not a good Christian because the Holy Spirit is not ruling and reigning in your life. And if you want to know more about the fruit of the Spirit, watch rooted on First Corinthians Sunday morning on the Facebook page. All right. So these things are evident in our homes and in our churches. This mixture of idolatry, of truth, and error brought together, and all of us are guilty of it to some degree. Whether you're on the liberal or Contemporary side or the militant fundamental side, and I've been on both of those, we can be guilty of it. And we teach for doctrine the commandments of men instead of just following the Word of God and in humility and meekness, esteeming others better than ourselves and loving our neighbor as ourselves and loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's true Christianity. How that expresses itself in your life may vary to some degree. But at the end of the day, we can agree on the fundamentals and the core essentials of the faith and not get so tangled up on how I doubt my eyes and cross my T's. All right. The third thing, chapter 17, verse 6 through 13, there was some Levitical idolatry. and If you read this passage, this is where Micah gets him his personal priest. All right. He gets him his priest and he finds him and um, comes in to be his priest and Works with him, and, and Michael sets him up as Micah sets him up as the ruler, his priestly ruler in his uh, in his little area, in his little his little church, his little godship that he built. And the point that I want to make is this is Levitical idolatry, right? He's worshiping the man instead of worshiping the God whom the man is supposed to serve. And obviously, the man's not serving God, or he would never be Micah's priest. And having grown up in the circles that I grew up in, I feel I'm qualified to say it, that we Christians, particularly some people that I used to be around, I'm not around as much anymore, have created a man-worship Christianity. It is man-centered. It elevates the preacher as the man of God over everything. And I watch guys I went to school with and Dusty's probably been guilty of it. I'm not just throwing rocks. I understand the 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 temptation, but I see guys that I go that have been to school with who walk around like they are something special because God called them to preach. They are the man and the people flock to them. You know, sign my Bible and all of this all of this stuff. And I'm not against signing Bibles. I kinda I to me that's I don't know. It's just a personal thing. But um, mainly because nobody asked me to sign theirs and I'm bitter about it deep, deep down. But it's okay. I, I sign all the Bibles and all the motels I go to. My name's in all of them. And uh, I'm teasing a little bit, but it's a man centered and a man worship. And if you ever go to revivals and camp meetings sometimes, you get this idea they are almost Baptist popes. And I don't mean the popes that go to our church, I'm talking about the Protestant. Pope issue. And on this side, we set up our own little men of God. The Bible says the man of God is to be the servant of all. And one of the things Pastor Matt stresses at Liberty and that attracted me to Liberty in the early days was the fact that he stresses that we are to be servant leaders. We lead through service. That's what we're supposed to do. And Pastor Matt and I both work hard not to create this aura of the man of God. Like you can't talk to me. You can't speak to me. You can't have my phone number. I'm separate from the other people. That's not the case. That's not. I want to be just as real and down to earth with everybody and help you understand. I am just a man that God called me to serve in this area. You're just a man or a woman and God's called you to serve in that particular area. All right. And so therefore I'm going to be dedicated to the service of God's people. So if I don't have time for you, then I'm not fulfilling my role. I'm not. I know I kidded not caring, because I was trying to illustrate a point about how expensive it is for Jesus to have the sympathy with us that he desires to have. And in reality, God works it in my heart and gives me love for the people he puts me under, and I'm supposed to care. I'm supposed to spend myself for others, is what the Bible talks about. Yeah, to labor with them again, to spend and to be spent. That is true Servanthood and true leadership, not this idolatry of making someone a man of God. And I'm going to tell you, since we'll just be candid here, all right. I earned my doctorate, big fat hairy deal, all right. I don't want you calling me a doctor. I don't even care what you call me, pastor. I'm just Dusty. Call me servant, Dusty. That would be the highest accolade that you could give me, all right. I, I, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to be. And if you want to respect me and get that, call me Pastor Brackett, Brother Dusty. Whatever the case, teach your kids. I get all of that. But just know that whatever you call me, I don't demand anything from you. Matt doesn't either. It's just Matt. It's just Dusty. We're just normal people called together to serve God. And Mindy Campbell, I am so glad God brought me to Liberty too and put me with Matt Burrell because it's of God and I'm rejoicing and I want to be that way forever. I, I I, I just want to be real. I just want to be a servant. That's all we're supposed to be. Not to be worshiping man, putting man up on a pedestal and thinking that we're unapproachable because we're the man of God, not a man of God, just a servant, low-down servant. And if you know, if you really knew who I was, if you could really see, you wouldn't come to church. You sure wouldn't let me preach. You wouldn't. Of course, if I knew you too, I wouldn't preach to you, bunch of heathens. All right. Now, number four, number four, chapter 18, verse 11 through 26, not only do we have Levitical idolatry, there is a tribal delinquency. You can read about the tribe of Dan, that as a tribe, Dan wholly turned from God. And one of the things, one of the reasons why that's significant is is Dan was a tribe located near the tribe of Judah. And if you read chapter 18, verse 30, most Bible scholars think that Dan's apostasy lasted 300 years. In fact, if you go read in the book of Revelation, Dan is one of the tribes that's, that's, not mentioned because of their idolatry. And I don't know how all of that plays out. I don't understand. You can check out on that. That's just a little tidbit to make your thing. But it it just reminds us that as God's people enter into this delinquency, that there are whole groups of people who drift from God. And let me make the application. We don't have tribes per se, but we do have denominations. And there are denominations even in America that used to be the standards for righteousness and evangelism and fulfilling the Great Commission and discipleship, and they are doing nothing, nothing now, nothing, not doing anything, anything. And forgive me for being plain, but I'm going to be plain. My grandmother lived in Bellwood, North Carolina, which is north of Shelby up Highway 18. And when I was a little boy, I used to go to church with her. And then when I went to Bible college, I visited her church several times. She went to Kadish United Methodist Church. And Kadish was part of a trio of churches with Knob Creek United Methodist Church and St. Peter's United Methodist Church. And they had one pastor over all three. And what he would do is at one church, he would preach at 10. And then he'd drive down the road and preach at 11 at the other church. And on the, other, the third church would just have Sunday school on that Sunday. And he would rotate around. So every third Sunday, you would just have Sunday school. And every other Sunday, you would have church first, then Sunday school. And then once every three, you would have Sunday school, then church. That's how they operated it. And there have been some good people come through in the days. But I noticed and have noticed as a whole, the United Methodist Church has drifted so far that they're pretty much just a social ministry. Boy Scouts are part of it. Feed the homeless, these kinds of things. And while all those things are good, I just know too many people who are part of that who are not getting the gospel. So, Brother Dusty, you're being off a plane. I know some people from United Methodist Church. I'm speaking in very general terms. And I'm just making the point that whole denominations have drifted from the truth of the gospel because the United Methodists today are not the United Methodists of Charles Wesley and John Wesley and those guys. No, sir, it's not that. And the Baptists are not what they ought to be, and neither are the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans. I mean, some of these organizations are only Christian in name only, and they're like the tribe of Dan, wholly drifted away from all of these things. You say, see, I, I disagree with you. Well, maybe in your experience, I am wrong, but in my experience, That's how I have seen it, and uh, it's a sad thing indeed. The fifth thing I see is the 19.1, chapter 19, verse 1. It is Levitical immorality. And by Levitical, I mean in the tribe of Levi, full-time Christian worker, the preacher tribe, so to speak, immorality among full-time Christian workers. So 19 tells us the story of a man who has a concubine, and he is a Levite. You know what a concubine is? I don't know who all is watching me, so I'll be very discreet, but a concubine is a woman that you don't give the status of a wife to, but you keep her around for your pleasure. That's what she's for, all right? She's basically just a slave in that sense, and it was all perfectly legal and accepted. And I know women's rights aren't near what they ought to be, and I I regret all of the difficulty that some of you women have suffered, but I'm certainly glad this does not exist anymore. Uh, for the women's sake, and so the Bible says that he had this concubine, and the concubine was kept not for love, but for lust and he's traveling with her and he 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 she ran away in verse two and played the whore against him and uh, he went and found her and brought her back and then he turns her over to the men of the town to abuse her all night. please forgive me I, it's in the Bible but I understand that we're talking about delicate things. And the next morning he walks out, verse 28, she's laying dead on the porch, having been abused all night. And he said, get up, let's go. And uh, just indicative of the terrible lust that was controlling the tribe of Levi, pictures of the immorality in the church of God. Is there any immorality among spiritual leaders? I say that slowly and hesitantly because I'm ashamed of how much there is. Ashamed. I can't get on Twitter or social media hardly without hearing about somebody that I used to know involved in immorality. And I'm not saying I'm above it. Oh, no, I'm very prone to it just as much as anybody is. So is Pastor Matt. We're just men and we walk in the flesh. That's a daily battle. and It's daily going on and it's a shame and it's a sign of the corruption in our nation. And that immorality leads to ooh, 1922. The homosexuality and sodomy that was in the land and that is the lowest form of immorality and the fact that our nation has legalized it and promotes it just as an indication of how far we have fallen and then in chapter 19 verse 25 the rape, the increase in sexual crimes that existed in the book of Judges and that we see going on in America. And when all of this stuff comes out about the child trafficking and, and Epstein and all this stuff, when, when God's able to pull back that and show and expose the horror and wickedness involved in that, the horror, you will be shocked and you won't be shocked because it's just a sign of the fact that we had wonder from God. And then finally in chapter 21, when the tribe of Benjamin, is down to their last 600 men and there are no women to go around. They tell them, look, there's a big festival. Just go down there and snatch you a wife. <laughs> the, the confusion of marital life. No seeking God, waiting on his provision. Just go down and get you one. And I have noticed as I've done weddings and churches and worked with married couples or couples wanting to be married. How little concern there is for God's right person for my life. Just a person that fits me economically, that fits me socially, their, their emotional profile fits with my profile, they must be the right one, instead of seeking God. And the reason why you see all of this declension in the corruption is because there has been a rejection of God ordained authority. And everything else that I've talked about since the beginning stems from the God ordained authority, the rejection of it four times. Four times in chapter 17, verse 21, is this phrase, there was no king in Israel. And two times it says this, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In fact, those are the last words of the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 17 and 18, chapter 17 and 18, talk about the idolatry. And it's mentioned there, no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes, idolatry. 19 and 21, no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes, immorality. Those two things go together, and to the degree that we reject God's authority, to that degree we'll experience all the other signs of corruption. Yeah, so let me just put it to you this way. The bottom line is because the United States of America has rejected the authority of God, and we experience this corruption. But don't just blame it on the homosexuals and the abortionists or whoever it is you like to point your finger at, the Democrats, the Republicans, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, all of that aside, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll hear the land. I know I butchered it a little bit, but you get the gist of it, that God lays the responsibility for much of this corruption at the feet of his people, not the government. And so sometimes people ask me, Brother well, Dusty, how come you're not you'll be more involved politically. We need to fight this and there's all kinds of preachers who call Matt and I want us to be part of this program, this grassroots movement to get this guy in the office and this guy in the office. Look, I'm fighting it at the grassroots level right now cuz I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that truly transforms man. When I get my one opportunity to vote in November, I will go vote and then I'll get right back to being busy about my father's business. That's what I need to be doing because God's in control of these things. And the change starts in the heart of God's people. That's where it starts. Now, I don't want to end Judges like that, okay? Because I want to remind you that this is the end of the book, but it's not all of the book. The book reminds us of the fact that this is the deeply entrenched evil from which God can deliver us. Because as you read Judges, guess what comes right after Judges? The beautiful book of Ruth. It takes place during the times of the Judges. And that is a book of the beauty of Jesus as our kinsman, Redeemer, and the line of Christ moving forward. And on it goes and on it still going to this very day. Christ is our deliverer. And I want you to notice in chapter 10, and this one you need to look up, chapter 10, verse 15 in the book of Judges. I know some of y'all got me on your TV and phone years doing all this stuff not really paying attention, just so you can tell me that you watched it. I get it, and it's okay. But if you got your Bible, look at verse chapter 10, verse 15. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seems good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee this day. That's what they said. We know we did wrong. Do whatever you want. Just deliver us. Just deliver us. That is true repentance. When you are willing to be chastened, your sin and you leave that up to God, all you want is deliverance. That is the humility that God responds to. Can I give you some verses that kind of just drive that home? Psalm 70 verse 1, make haste, O God, to deliver me. What does that prayer illustrate? It illustrates that my only hope of deliverance comes from God And I want him to hurry. And it's not wrong to tell God to hurry. God, I need you. And we understand as we read the book of Judges that yes, we are a failing people. It so pointedly reveals to us just what failures we are. But it also points out that our God is a faithful God and his faithfulness overcomes our failure. And our theme for the whole book is this. It is defeat swallowed up. In victory. That's what our God does. And every judge illustrates these things. Psalms 109 verse 21. Psalm 109 21 says, Because of your loving kindness is good, I hope for your deliverance. What's? Why am I delivered? Because God's loving kindness is so good. And then Galatians 1.4. This is the New Testament correlation. I'm going to read this one to you. I'm going to look it up. Make sure I'll quote it correctly. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's our hope? It's our hope is in Jesus, our deliverer. He is our deliverer. We have uh, sing a lot of songs at Liberty. Some of them were newer, and it's taken me a little bit to learn them. I'm older. I grew up on the hymn book. And uh, when my wife and I, Anna and I first met. Anna grew up in a home a lot. They listened to a lot of music. We used to play a game driving down the road. I'd hit scan on the radio. And when a song played, who can name it first? She'd always kill me. She can name all these songs. I didn't even heard these songs. I grew up in a super strict home. I never heard them. But then we played another game. We, uh, we sat in random churches and picked up hymn books and just flipped them over at random. And there's very few hymns I don't at least know something about. And, uh, and I know we don't sing a lot of those, not just at Liberty, but across the board. Most churches only sing the same 8, 10, 15 songs all the time, even if they do sing hymns. But one of the songs we have kept at Liberty, and I love it when we sing it, and I'm glad does Zach does sing it, is this song, Come Thy Fount. You know that song? Come thy fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Remember that song? Uh, Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. That that song, the, the second verse, the second verse is the book of Judges. You know how the second verse goes? It goes like this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the cry of my heart. It's the cry of my heart. Lord, I'm prone to wonder. I feel it. I feel it. I don't walk through the day in the clouds of victory. I feel the pull to wonder. Yeah, I do. And I know you do too. And my cry isn't that I got to work harder and do better and do these things. But to give my heart to God and allow him to take it and deliver me from the deeply entrenched evil that is so much a part of what I am because I am a human being with a fallen sin nature. But Christ is my mighty Gideon. Christ is my mighty Samson. Christ is my mighty Jephthah. Christ is my mighty Deborah. Christ is my mighty Othniel. Christ is my mighty Ehud. He can deliver me. He can, and he does. He does. I'll give it to you. The the next part of that, the third part of that verse says, that song says, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee yeah mm. yeah mm-hmm. so I need. grace of God I was thinking about it I'm sorry it's good Psalm 86 verse 11 David prays this unite my heart to fear thy name what is the opposite of being united being divided. You have a divided heart. Half of it is for Jesus. It is. There's part of my heart that loves Jesus. There's a part of me that does not love Jesus. And David prays, God, bring them together. Bring them together and unite my heart to fear thy name. There's a New Testament correlation. I'm going to close with this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. We, we, we quote it all the time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. How many of you know that? Yep, hands all over the building. Yes, I see that hand. Is there another? Yeah. All right, we know that song, we know that verse. But that word care, casting all your care, means to have a divided mind full of anxiety. That's what it means. So I have a divided heart and a divided mind, a heart that wants to live for God but can't ever live up to even the desires of my own heart, much less the desires of God's heart. And I have a mind that is divided, wants to trust God and believe Him, full of fear and anxiety. Can I get a witness? Yeah, absolutely. I see a hand, Mike Haynes. That's right. Can I get a witness? Yes, we do have those kind of hearts. What's our hope? Dear God, unite my mind. Unite my heart to fear your name. Keep me close to you. I know that the only hope I have is your delivering power to do for me what you did for the children of Israel in the book of Judges and overcome the wicked one in my life and lead me out of deeply entrenched evil into the victory that only you can give. Swallow up my defeatedness in your victory. Keep my heart close to you and keep me focused on the purpose for which I am called to exist. That's what God wants to do through the book of Judges. And so as you read this book, be sad. Be sad at the, sad, the wickedness of God's people that they would sin so much against his grace. Be sad as you identify with that wickedness. And then rejoice that our great deliverer swallows up our defeat in his victory. Rejoice and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and understand that one day we will stand before his throne, not because of our goodness, our righteousness, our perseverance, or our faith, but because of Jesus's goodness, his righteousness, and his perseverance. And he has made us worthy, and we'll gather around the throne and sing forever and ever, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Thank you so much for these five weeks together in the book of Judges. I hope that they have blessed you. If they have, like it. Tell me it blessed you. Tell me how it blessed you. And then do the easiest thing in the world. Click share. Click share. Now, Pastor Matt will take you back over on Wednesday nights next week. We've got some things coming, though. I'll be back on Wednesday nights. Back if we're going to be doing some things together and working forward. If you uh, want more teaching like this, of course, follow Rooted on Facebook. You can go to Liberty Facebook page, look at groups, follow Rooted. I'll let you in. There's no problem letting anybody join. Um, And we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we are talking about spiritual gifts. We're in chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14 talking about speaking in tongues. And if you've got an interest in that, please join us. And uh, you can follow that along as well. And then you can listen to it on podcast. We have that uh, Rooted with Dusty is available on podcast. And want just the audio from these things. I love you guys. It means a lot to me that you would take the time to listen. Thank you so much. Pray for our church. Pray for our leadership. God will keep us humble. He'll use us. And then we'll reach the world with the gospel because we so desperately needs it, especially this day and time. And then pray for God's people that we'd be encouraged. Our deliverer is on the throne. Things are still moving forward just like he wants them to do. And he will accomplish his purpose in us. He will not rest like Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. He will not rest until he presents his church as a glorious church without spot, or wrinkle. That's our hope. Have a good night. See you later.